reading this morning is taken from 1 Corinthians and reading from chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led, to, and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone it is the same God at work. Amen. Thank you, Alan. Thank you so much, Rachel. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you. My, it's been windy. My, well, I love the wind. It's invigorating. I don't know that everybody agrees. <laughs> um, actually, this morning, just as an aside, we've been lent a, uh, a basketball hoop um, out the front, and we put it to the side and put a sandbag on it. Guess where I found it this morning when I left early, halfway down the road. Far out, this is serious wind. Um, some of us are drawn to power. Some of us like the wind. Um, the Spirit of God is described as being like the wind in the Scriptures. Uh, our young people today are drawn to things that seem powerful and supernatural. It wouldn't surprise you to hear that the most popular shows at the moment streaming through the internet are the uh, Marvel superhero series. Uh, all those folks who are supernaturally enabled. And uh, if it's not the Marvel side of things, then it's Star Wars, isn't it? Uh, the next series coming out after the next series, all about the Force and tapping into the power of the Force to do sup- supernatural things. Wasn't that dissimilar uh, a couple of decades ago in the church? You may remember uh, there was a bit of a movement. Certain followers of Jesus uh, locally and around the world were saying that there were certain gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, that uh, had been evident in history in the establishment of the church and uh, still available today, and that these should be the focus, these gifts should be the focus of the uh, coming together of the Lord's people. And these um, so-called spiritual gifts were particularly sought out, uh, namely the gifts of tongues, the gift of healing, and the gifts of prophecy. And some of these Christians began a movement that has become known as the charismatic movement. And um, there was the establishment, of course, of the Pentecostal denomination that came through that. And um, there was perhaps, uh, for those even who may have witnessed this, uh, the pursuit of the experience of some of these supernatural gifts of tongues and healing and prophecy when God's people came together. And I've got to acknowledge that um, here at Fig Tree Anglican Church, we're a diverse bunch. Uh, Some of us are very Anglican. Uh, Some of us have come from other denominations to join our church here. And indeed, some of us have come from the Pentecostal church denomination. Other of us, of us may be relatively new. And um, I just want to say that as we come together and look at the Word of God in chapter 12 of the letter of 1 Corinthians over the next few weeks, 
that I'd like us to see something become clear to us. Firstly, that all Christians are charismatic. That is, that we have been given gifts by God. Uh, Secondly, that these gifts from God have been given to us to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to serve one another as his church. And thirdly, that all of us have at least one gift, but none of us has all the gifts. And those learnings from God's Word over the course of these next three weeks, I hope, will encourage us to see how precious it is that God is seeking to build the body of Christ to whom we belong. We're going to the Word of God, which is powerful and Spirit-inspired, and in and of ourselves, we find it difficult to understand these things because they are spiritually discerned. So we need God's help. So I'm going to ask that God would be pleased to help us as we gather together today and over the next couple of weeks. So would you join me in prayer? Our Father God in heaven, we thank you that your word is alive, active, sharper than any double-edged sword, inspired by your spirit, and powerful. And we pray, Lord, that as we spend this time together now, having come from different places and spaces, some of us windswept, some of us already still in heart and spirit, that you would enable us to see that we have been given gifts by you and that we are, by definition, charismatic. That you've given us these gifts to serve the Lord Jesus and one another and that all of us, have some gift or other to share, but that none of us has every gift that you have given so that there's no grounds for boasting. So please help us as we come to your word today to grow in faith, to grow in our desire to serve Jesus and one another and to grow for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, Sarah and I uh, started watching a series recently. Um, Sarah had watched it. She got ahead of the curve a bit and started earlier than me, and I tried to jump in midway through. And that was a really bad idea because I didn't know what was going on. So I had to go back to the beginning and start again to catch up. And it's a bit like that when you jump into the middle of a letter uh, at chapter 12. So what I'd like to do firstly is just give a little bit in terms of the, uh, the context, the Corinthian context, and you'll be able to follow along on screen. Now... Uh, This letter that Paul has written divides quite neatly. Uh, It divides into the first six chapters and then uh, chapters 7 to 16, and each section covers a different topic. So uh, the first six chapters, I suppose, could be summarized in this way. uh, Paul's perceptions presented to Corinth. In other words, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth to address certain pastoral problems. In the first four chapters, uh, he describes how there is division within the church. They seem to have become sort of different parties. And then chapters 5 and 6, he deals with issues of sexual immorality and of lawsuits that are taking place within the church. Then Paul shifts, and he seems to be engaging with a letter that has been sent to him by members of the church at Corinth. 
because he says at the beginning of chapter 7, I'm now going to write you about the matters that you raised with me, the matters about which you wrote. And in chapter 7, he addresses marriage and singleness. And then in chapter 8, he says now about food sacrifice to idols, and he deals with that issue. And then he says in verse 12, uh, oh, sorry, verse 1 of chapter 12, now about spirituals, about spiritual gifts, and uh, that introduces the section, chapters 12 to 14, that we're looking at uh, over the next three weeks. And then he goes on to address the resurrection. And finally, he says in verse 1 of chapter 16, now about the collection for God's people. And so it's very helpful for us to kind of be able to separate those categories. But the first thing I want us to remember as we engage with this together is that Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. He's writing to them in context. But he's also writing in such a way that this is a letter addressed to us today. So throughout the next three weeks, I'm going to be tic-tacking about the Corinthian context and then thinking about what that might mean for us today at Fig Tree Anglican Church. So that's the first point. That's the Corinthian context. The same thing I want us to think through today together, and again, you've got your outline, your fitness passport that you received in the way in, and uh, that'll help us to look at the scriptures alongside the structure, is this distinction that Paul makes between spiritual gifts in verse 1 and grace gifts in verse 4. Verse 1, Paul writes this. He says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, the problem is here that we have to find the meaning of this phrase, spiritual gifts. In your translation and in mine, for the most part, that is the NIV and the ESV and the NRSV, uh, we're reading spiritual gifts. The good old-fashioned King James Version, how, uh, however, get, gets a little closer in as much as this word is literally spirituals. There's no word here for gifts. It's spirituals. What's in the original language, pneumaticone. And, and when you've got a word like spirituals, you've got to kind of find the, the word next to it. Is Paul talking about spiritual things or spiritual matters? Which is how he uses that word at points throughout his letter. Or, or is Paul talking about spiritual people? Which is where he also uses this word to apply throughout the letter. Is he talking about matters or persons? Well, Paul's talking about tongues and healing and prophecy, gifts of God to his people. And these things are discussed throughout chapters 12 to 14. But in the immediate context, he could be referring to people or things. Either way, this word, spirituals, is not so important. In fact, he's using this word spirituals in response to the Corinthians' use of the word spirituals. It's very likely that in their letter, they've written something along the lines of, now, Paul, about these spirituals. And Paul's writing back to them to kind of go, now, Corinthians, about these spirituals. And as Paul goes through, he starts to substitute the word. It's a bit of a bait and switch. He says spirituals, and now I'm going to use my own word, and the word that he chooses in verse 4, in exchange for their word, is the word for grace gifts, or charismata. 
I don't know whether you've ever been in discussion with somebody and, and they've had a different meaning to the word that you're using. It's a tricky thing. I've been in this country for over 20 years, but if you start to talk to me about pants or thongs, I'm sorry to say, in my head, it goes straight to underwear. Because that's what it is in England. <laughs> pants and thongs, underwear. You mean something quite different here in Australia. It's taking me a while to adjust. Sometimes our friends, when Sarah and I are talking to them, will call us religious. And then what we do with that word, with religion, which is normally about what people do, is we want to shift the conversation to talk about relationship, which is talking about who we are. We are in relationship with God. And so people say to us, oh, you're very religious. And we want to say, well, we can talk about religion, but we'd rather talk about the relationship that we have. It's, it's a shift, isn't it? And that's kind of what Paul does here. You want to talk about spirituals? I want to talk about grace gifts. And he uses this word, charismata or grace gifts, in a number of ways throughout his letters. You'll see here uh, on screen that Paul uses this word to describe gospel encouragement in Romans. The gift of salvation in Romans. Spiritual gifts in Romans and 1 Corinthians. Even marriage or celibacy in 1 Corinthians. And the ministry of the gospel in his pastoral letters. So once the word for spirituals, pneumaticone, is where we start, charismata, charis is the Greek word for grace, Paul's word, charismata, grace gifts, is where he takes us on the journey. He chooses this word because it's about God's grace to his people. It's about God's grace gifts to his people. They're gifts from God, and they're not something that we can boast about. Now, when you come to our house and you're walking around, you remember, of course, that we had intended to go and serve over in Indonesia. We basically got rid of everything. And then when we realized that God was going to keep us here and bring us to the Illawarra, we, were, we <laughs> kind of put the call out and said, hey, we need stuff. And then we had all these lovely things come in. And so I could take you around my house and go, look, here's a sofa, and uh, here's a drum kit, and here's a picture. You go around with my wife, Sarah, she's more likely to point you to the fact that this sofa came from a lovely family that we used to know from another church, or that this drum kit came from our best man, or, or that this picture came from a lady whom she's had a long relationship with. You see what's going on there? I talk about the gifts. She talks about the person who gave the gift. And that's what Paul wants for the Corinthians and for us. It's to see not just the gift, but the giver of the gift, the gift giver. And so when we talk about spiritual gifts, I wonder whether sometimes we tend to get into that space where we think about what gifts that person has and what gifts that person has and what gift I might have in a relative way. Do you know how we do that sometimes with each other? We tend to pigeonhole people. Think about the first time that you met somebody. What do you, what do you ask them? What, what do you do? Where do you live? We, we kind of calibrate, don't we? And then maybe you, I don't know, maybe you don't have this, but this goes on for me. When I'm talking to somebody and I hear about what they do and what they have, I tend to relativize a bit. I tend to go, ooh, I don't have one of those. <laughs> or, ooh, I'm not doing, do you, know how, do you ever have that feeling? And then sometimes I tend to kind of mm, <laughs> look down, or sometimes I kind of look up. 
Maybe no, I'm sure you don't have that here at ten o'clock. That doesn't happen here, does it? it? But it's a weird thing, isn't it? Because then, when we start to look at people's gifts, it can become grounds for boasting or feeling better about ourselves or feeling down about ourselves. Paul wants us to look at these gifts that have been given and to look to the gift giver and give thanks for the gifts. Give thanks to the giver and be thankful for the giver. Doesn't want us to be boastful in a way that's ignorant. Doesn't want us to kind of revert like the Corinthians did to this this position of ignorance, verse 2, where he says, you know, that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Paul makes known the truth revealed to him by God himself. And he says, verse 3, so it is that I want to make known to you the truth. Bearing in mind that they and we were born out of ignorance, what is it that Paul wants them to remember? Well, it's in verse 3 where he says, I tell you that no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God can say Jesus is cursed. And no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God, I'm so sorry, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. Let me say that again because I got confused. Let me read it from the Word of God. Have a look in your Bibles. Make sure that what I'm saying is there. That was a very good test, wasn't it, for us? Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Some Christians in Corinth were getting bound up with these supernatural, spectacular gifts. And Paul will focus on two particular gifts, the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And we will look at that in more depth next week in the next sermon. But for now, where the Corinthians are thinking, uh, this particular gift is a mark of being spiritual, or this particular gift shows the Holy Spirit in a person, or this particular gift is proof of somebody being spiritual, Paul is saying that's not the litmus test for spirituality. The litmus test is whether or not you or we say Jesus is Lord. That's the test. It's not interpretation, it's not healing, it's not prophecy, it's not any gift. The test of whether somebody is really spiritual is whether they declare Jesus Christ is Lord. Not just with the tongue, but with the whole being. What they say about the Jesus of the incarnation, what they say about the Jesus who came into this world and did miraculous supernatural feats, what they say about Jesus who declared himself to be I am Messiah, what they say about Jesus who went to the cross for the sins of the world, what they say about the Jesus of the resurrection, what they say about the Jesus of the ascension to heaven, what they say of the Jesus who is ruling now at the right hand of God the Father, what they say about the Jesus who promises he will come again to return uh, to judge the living and the dead, and then rule for all eternity. To be able to say that Jesus alone is Lord, and that there is no other, especially in a society which so maligns the person of Jesus, it appears these days. For a person to confess that Jesus is Lord, that is the proof of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So spiritually, We are defined by the work of the Spirit. And God gives his people grace gifts to serve Christ and to serve one another. Now, 
we also need to be a little cautious about the presence of these more supernatural gifts. I'm not saying that tongues are gone. I'm not saying that healing is gone. I'm not saying that prophecy is gone. But I want us to be aware that these sorts of gifts are not simply the domain of Christianity. Appearing to perform miracles, appearing to cast out demons in Jesus' day was not unique. So these things do not tell me of the presence of the Holy Spirit. How can I prove this? Well, I go to Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23, where the Lord Jesus himself says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles in your name? And I will say to them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Supernatural gifts does not prove the presence of the Holy Spirit. The proof is in what we say about Jesus. And if we say that Jesus is Lord, then we are spiritual. Well, what does that mean for us as his body in this world? Well, thirdly and finally, although there will be a little summary point just to give you a heads up as well. Thirdly and finally for the three main points, unity with diversity, verses 4 to 6. If we are united in our confession of Jesus as Lord... This unity does not mean that we shall all have the same gifts. In verse 4 it says this, it says there are different kinds of gifts. There are different kinds of service. There are different kinds of working. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord Jesus. There are different kinds of working, but the same God and Father in heaven. And if the people of God share their confession of Jesus as Lord, then Paul wants us to see the unity in the origin of the gifts, that there's only one source. This is the unique revelation of God's word in the Bible. This is unique to Christianity, that there is one God in three persons. And all three persons are seen here. God the Spirit, God the Son, God the the Father, and all three of them are involved in giving these gifts. Which means that if somebody was to say to you, ah, well, you need a second blessing by the power of the Holy Spirit, that doesn't work with this, does it? We have unity in our confession of Jesus as Lord, and yet we enjoy diversity. Those gifts from God, those grace gifts are diverse. They're different kinds of gifts, verse 4. They're different kinds of service, verse 5, and they're different kinds of working. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read those words and I read the word gifts, which I know are charismata, grace gifts, and then I read service and workings, in my head already I'm starting to go, grace gifts, service and workings. (laughs) Do you find yourself doing that? The word service, what does that mean to us? At 8 o'clock, it, it might mean a little more naturally that when we come together, we gather together for a service. But I think of the word service, and I, I think of a week ago when I had to pay an astronomical amount of money to get my car serviced. That's the sort of service that comes to mind. I think about when somebody served me on the table that I sit at at a restaurant service. It seems a bit work a day, doesn't it? But Paul very carefully wants to level the playing field. He says, whether it's the gifts or the works or the service, they're all 
grace gifts. So it might seem to you and me that serving morning tea is a little less spectacular than a gift of healing. But God says both of these are the grace gift at work in the life of a follower of Jesus. Might seem to you and me perhaps that being on parish council would be a little less visible and maybe even less engaging than preaching the Bible. But God says each of these is grace gift at work in the life of the follower of Jesus. It might be that some would say, well, collecting all the rubbish together and putting it in the big bin at the end of our time together on Sunday looks a little less less exciting than leading music or leading prayer up front. But God says these are both grace gifts at work in the life of the follower of Jesus. And so that pigeonholing is not possible for us. That perception of leveling is not possible for us because all of them are graced gifts. Different kinds of gifts, different kinds of service, different kinds of working, but all from the one God who loves unity in our confession of Jesus as Lord, but loves the diversity that exists amongst us. What are we to do? I'm going to draw a few ideas together um, for what that might mean for body building, building the body here at Victory Anglican Church. First things first, we are all spiritual. So if you call on Jesus as Lord, you call him Messiah, you call him Christ, then you are a spiritual person. That's the bottom line. This demonstrates that God's Holy Spirit is at work in you. Nobody can look to you then and say, oh, you're unspiritual. It's simply not true. We're not persuaded by those who kind of take apart mind, body, and spirit because God declares us to be whole and spiritual when we confess Christ as Lord. We're not to be persuaded by those who would want us to follow with this sort of postmodern or even post-truth position that I have to say has been propagated through very enjoyable movies through the ideology and fusion of mythology to say that there's some supernatural nature to spirituality. There is one God, he is the only God, and all others are mute idols with no power whatsoever. And if there is any power in them, we have to say to ourselves, where's that coming from? Paul confirms in this very letter to the Corinthians that that is only demonic. There is one form of spirituality and it comes from God and we see it here at Victory Anglican Church, because, praise God, we preach Jesus as Lord. And what a privilege it is to be shoulder to shoulder with you in that declaration. We are spiritual brothers and sisters. We must not think of ourselves otherwise. And as a spiritual community, spirit-filled people, let us praise God together and give thanks. And if we're spiritual people, then we are charismatic, which means that we have grace gifts from God. If, um, if we consider the greatest gift of God, then what is it? That is the gift of himself in Christ, in whom we are. It is the gift of what Christ has done to bring us together by way of salvation. And then if we are charismatic, then that means that we have God's gift of grace in salvation, being in Christ, but also that he will gift us with a whole variety of different gifts to serve one another and to serve Jesus. Can I say above all that if you're somebody who hasn't yet 
grasped that gift of salvation, if you've not yet put your wholehearted trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, then today is the day to do that. Because that will change everything for you. And he wants you. Do that today. Now, for many of us in this congregation, we are charismatic. We're incredibly well gifted by God for ministry and works of service. But it may feel coming back from COVID that that you're a bit redundant at the moment. That's the case for some of us, isn't it? It might be time again to turn back to God and ask him, Lord, what is my gift? Or what gifts can I take that I have and use them in a way that is gracious for the good of the body? If you're somebody who's never quite worked out what your gift is, then talk to somebody who knows you, who's been walking with you in the Lord and ask them what they think your gift is. Because we are charismatic. We have grace gifts. Thirdly, we're charismatic, so there's no room for boasting. They're gifts from God. And so there's humility amongst us. You know, of course, the moment I start to say, I'm a humble man, it all goes wrong, doesn't it? (laughs) We're going in the wrong direction. I'm really humble. No, but the point is that God has given us the gifts, and so we can't boast. I look around the room, and I see hardworking sacrificial people that is something to be celebrated but let's face it brothers and sisters every gift that we have is a gift from God going all the way back to the very ruach the wind the the breath in our lungs and one day when that stops and praise God we're with the Lord Jesus it'll become a lot clearer to us but for now Everything is a gift. And with these gifts, whether they're administrative or financial or musical or encouraging or serving or healing or tongue speaking or prophetic, all these gifts demand humility. Finally, I want to say that we are diverse. We are diverse. We have different gifts, but that doesn't mean to say that there aren't areas in which we can all serve. Um, I'm very thankful to, um, in fact, Peter and Megan are here with us um, this morning. Uh, Peter Peter and Megan have um, been long-term members of our church, long-term church members, and then they uprooted for a season and went traveling. And as they went traveling, they became newbies at a whole bunch of churches. But what they've very helpfully done for us is given us a bit of a review about the particular ministry of welcoming and how every one of us can potentially be a welcomer. Actually, I'm going to hand over to them. Just to have a look with one another at this video. Thanks. Now we're, we're far from perfect at welcoming at church, but we've picked up on a few things over the years. Uh, one thing is the way that we actually approach church in the first place. We try to think of church not about ourselves, but about others and how we can serve and how we can give. And so that might mean arriving at church, <laughs> hopefully a few minutes early. It doesn't always work. We are not very good at that. <laughs> no. Thinking about where we sit at church, so maybe not always sitting with our friends or where we feel comfortable, but different sorts of places. Um, And then I guess after the service, there's a big part of welcoming as well. And so not just racing off wherever possible, but hanging around, spending time with others in conversation, looking out for those who maybe are on the fringes or not overly comfortable and inviting them into our lives. 
Um, I find that often I'm dropping kids at the creche or the kids' church, and that's a great time to just look out for someone new because you might be standing in line about to drop your kid off, and then you can just say, hey, are you new this week? Um, I find that's not a bad question to ask. Um, something else I like to do is sit at the back so that during the service I can kind of just let my eyes roam and look out for anyone that I have not met before. And then at the end of the service, you have to make sure you race up to meet that person because new people will tend to leave straight away, especially if no one's talking to them. I guess we think welcoming is valuable because we really love Jesus and we want other people to really love Jesus too. And if they're stepping into our building, we want them to feel welcome and at home there. And just saying hi to them is a start. And, you know, there are more, there's more we can do after that. <laughs> it's that first step, isn't it? That first step to building community, uh, building this... A sense of belonging, sense of um, yeah, like you're valued at church, and like you're part of something bigger, and part of something more important than just yourself and your own little family dynamic. <laughs> welcoming is so much more than for those few people on the door each week on the welcoming roster. Welcoming is for every single person at church. It's great to have our welcomers on the door, but it wouldn't be wonderful as we continue to foster that welcoming spirit with one another. And uh, what a blessing it is to be able to serve in that way, everyone a welcomer. But I come back again to this picture of diversity that God gives us in our unity in declaring Jesus as Lord. I mean, it would be the worst team in the world, wouldn't it, if everybody was a striker or a goal scorer or a scrum half. Like you wouldn't get anywhere, would you? <laughs> or if you had perhaps um, an orchestra that was all made up of people playing first fiddle. <laughs> they, they just would not be very musical. And so it is that every member of the body of Christ, as God has gifted us, can play our part for the good of the body. So let's not pigeonhole or stifle one another. Let's move forward into the weeks ahead with great rejoicing because God has given us different kinds of gifts but the same Spirit, different kinds of service but the same Lord and different kinds of workings but the same God who works all of them in us. Let me pray. Father God, we want to thank you that you're a God who has given the most gracious gift of all, himself, to us, for us, in us and with us for all eternity. Thank you, Father, for the grace gifts that you give to your people to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to serve one another. Help us, Father, with our posture towards you and towards one another. Continue to grow us, we pray, in our desire to serve one another for our good and for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.